Hello and welcome back to the Bookshelf Odyssey and our mini-series of a deep dive into Charles Dickens's Great Expectations. And uh, today we're getting closer to the end. We're looking at chapters 43 through 46. And uh, it's parts 27 and parts 28 of the uh, serialization published back in June of 1861. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot of things to discuss before we get started, other than uh, do check out the show notes below as we have a revised reading schedule because of some delays from last week, uh, or, well, from between parts two and three. But we're ready to go, ready to finish out this book here by the end of, what month is this? By the end of May. And uh, we should be still on track to do that. Uh, I, we're going to have to do a little bit of extra reading in the last couple of weeks, but I think those chapters will go pretty quickly. There's a lot of action that will be happening here real soon in the story. As always, if you have any thoughts or questions or insights into the story, I'd love to hear from you. You can comment down below or find me on the Voxer channel. The links are in the show notes as well. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and dive into Dickens in chapters 43 and 44 of Great Expectations. So after all that he went through and Pip and Herbert are now discussing what to do next. And as we begin chapter 43, I have I had a thought that uh, before we even get started, and that is that Pip will often refer to Magwitch as Provis, his alias. And he'll do that even when he's just when future Pip is narr narrating to us to the reader. And I and I wonder why he continues to use uh, an alias for him. Um, maybe that's because that's who he, he came to know him as, or maybe he's still trying to distance himself from who Magwitch really is, that he's coming up with a, a different name for him. Uh, you know, I don't know. And it could just be I'm reading too much into it. Uh, but that's a thought I had. So if you have any insight to that, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But we uh, begin chapters 43 with Pip concerned that Compasson might still be alive. And this being Dickens, we can probably guarantee that, yes, he is still alive. <laughs> Pip knows that they need to do something about the situation with Magwitch, but first he wants to go and see Estella. So he goes to see her, uh, but that finds out that she's not home at the house that you know she'd been living in. And they said that she was at Sata's house, which is which Pip finds to be odd. So Pip makes plans to go to Satis house to see uh, to see Estella. And he tells Magwitch that he's going to see Joe, but then he, he goes, he's going to go see Estella. So when he arrives at the Blue Boar, who is there to greet him but none other than Drummle? And uh, that opening paragraph when it's talking about uh, Pip finding out that Estella's gone, you're just really left with a sense of mystery. And now as he uh, travels back to his uh, country, you know, he, sends, he he stops at the Blue Boar, he meets Dremel, and what follows is this kind of amusing, I don't know what polite term I could use it for, but he and Dremel are like fighting for space by the fireplace. They're, they're really just being guys to each other, you know, they're not, either one of them are wanting to budge an inch, as he says in in the chapter. Uh, after some very polite and very strained conversation, Drummle keeps bringing up how he's going to be dining with the lady tonight, as if to dig in to Pip that um, he has Estella and Pip doesn't. 
It talks about their uh, their conflict and how, and uh, Dremel tells him not to lose your temper. He says, haven't you lost enough without that? What do you mean, sir? Waiter, said Dremel, by way of answering me. The waiter reappeared. Look here, you sir. You quite understand that the lady don't ride today and that I dine at the young ladies? Quite so, sir. So he, he's digging into that, that, hey, Estella is mine. You've lost Estella. Don't go losing your temper. Don't go do don't do something that will make you lose everything else that you have. And I and I just thought that he was just really sticking the knife in and twisting there. That uh, you know he's bragging about how he has Estella. So uh, we get through uh, chapter forty three. As Pip sees Drummle leaving, he sees someone helping him mount the horse and light his cigar and all that. And he thinks it might be he thinks it might be Orlick. So Orlick is still hanging around, it, it seems like. And again, being that this is Dickens, it's very likely that that's who it is. And he said, he, he so he's heading to Satis House, a place he describes as he went to the memorable old house that it would have been so much the better for me never to have entered, never to have seen. So Pip is learning his lesson that this really was not the best thing for me, that this did not do for me what I hoped it would do, and it would have been better if I had never even gone there. So I'm encouraged by Pip. He seems to be learning his lesson. We get to chapter 44, and uh, Pip will have a conversation with Miss Havisham. The, uh, and, and Estella is there. They're both surprised to see him, and they both seem to think, or at least Estella seems to realize that she that he understands now everything, that who his patron was. And in fact, he tells them, I have found out who my patron is. It is not a fortunate discovery, and it is not likely ever to enrich me in reputation, station, fortune, anything. There are reasons why I must say no more of that. It is not my secret, but another's. So he says, there's reasons for this, but it's not my story to tell. But he wants a straight answer from Miss Havisham for once. He says, one, when you first caused me to be brought here, Miss Havisham, when I belonged to the village over yonder that I wish I had never left, I suppose I did really come here as any other chance boy might have come, as a kind of servant to gratify a want or a whim and to be paid for it? Aye, Pip, replied Miss Havisham, steadily nodding her head. You did. And so he gets that confirmation. Basically, they just hired him to be a servant. And anything else that happened was just coincidence. That Mr. Jaggers happened to work for her. It's a coincidence. That he thought Estella was intended for her or for him. That was just a coincidence. Uh, that Pip thought that Miss Havisham was his patron, uh, his benefactor. That was just a coincidence. And it was a story that they didn't bother correcting. And I feel like Pip at this point says, well, what else? I have got nothing else to lose. So poor kid, he just blurts out that he's in love with Estella and that Estella knows it. He, he says, Estella, said I, turning to her now and trying to command my trembling voice. You know I love you. You know that I have loved you long and dearly. And, and she just an, an, doesn't answer. Uh, she's very cold still, continues to knit. He says, I know I have no hope that I shall ever call you mine, Estella. I am ignorant what may become of me very soon, how poor I may be, or where I may go. Still, I love you. I have loved you ever since I first saw you in this house. 
he just pours it all out. You know, one last chance maybe to, to get Estella. One last chance for her to confess her true feelings to him. And how does she answer? It seems, said Estella very calmly, that there are sentiments, fancies, I don't know how to call them, which I am not able to comprehend. When you say you love me, I know what you mean, as a form of words, but nothing more. You address nothing in my breast. You touch nothing there. I don't care for what you say at all. I have tried to warn you of this. Now, have I not? I said in a miserable manner, yes. Yes, but you would not be warned, for you thought I did not mean it. Now, do you think? Do you not think so? I thought and hoped you could not mean it. You, so young, untried and beautiful, Estella, surely it is not in nature. Now watch what she says. It is in my nature, she returned. And then she added, with a stress upon the words, it is in the nature formed within me. I make a great difference between you and all other people when I say so much. I can do no more. That's a really interesting quote that we're just going to have to come back to at the end of the story. Anyway, uh, so Estella continues on, just basically turns him down flat uh, and says, I have no feeling in my heart. This is the way I've been made. I've been created to do this. I tried to warn you. You didn't listen. And she says, I am going to be married to, to Dremel. And Pip tries to convince her to marry anyone else but Dremel. He says, you know, fine. You don't want to marry me. That's fine. But don't marry Dremel because he's the worst. Okay. He's awful. He's terrible. Don't marry him. And she basically says that his feelings will pass in time. You know, you'll get over it. I'm going to marry Dremel. End of story. And then Pip just speaks, I think, one, one of the most beautiful lines in all of Dickens's writing uh, as Pip confesses just how much he actually does love her. She says, your feelings are, are simple, they're fancy, they'll pass. And he says, no. Estella says, um, you will get out of, you will get me out of your thoughts in a week. And, and then Pip says, out of my thoughts, you are part of my existence, part of myself. You have been in every line I have ever read since I first came here. The rough common boy whose poor heart you wounded even then. You have been in every prospect I have ever seen since. On the river, on the sails of the ships, on the marshes, in the clouds, in the light, in the darkness, in the wind, in the woods, in the sea, in the streets, you have been the embodiment of every graceful fancy that my mind has ever become acquainted with. The stones of which the strongest London buildings are made are not more real or more impossible to be displaced by your hands than your presence and influence have been to me there and everywhere and will be. Estella, to the last hour of my life, you cannot choose but remain part of my character, part of the little good in me, part of the evil. But in this separation, I associate you only with the good, and I will faithfully hold you to that always. For you must have done me far more good than harm. Let me feel now what sharp distress I may. Oh, God bless you. God forgive you. It seems to make Estella just stare at him in wonder, but it may have actually reached Miss Havisham. Look what it says, that as he leaves, he sees her as a spectral figure, her hand still covering her heart, and seemed all resolved into a ghastly stare of pity and remorse. So what do you think of Pip's speech here? I think it's a beautiful thing to say to someone. I'm still trying to decide if he if he really understands what he's saying, though. Let's assume that he is, that 
his love for Estella has been deeper than maybe we've even realized. That, you know, she says, this will pass. And he says, how can it pass? You've been my everything. He says that you have been in every line I've ever read, which I, I really like that, that line. Uh, but he says that you're in everything and, and, and I see you everywhere. You're such a part of me. You have helped me more than you think. And even though he has, she has hurt him, she has done him good as well. So his love for her has been, at least to him, fairly deep. And now they're parting and he thinks perhaps he will never see her again. Um, I really want to discuss what you think about this speech and how do you think this informs our understanding of Pip's feelings for Estella? So Pip leaves Sada's house and instead of going back to the Blue Boar, he decides to walk all the way back to London, which is only a matter of 25 miles or so. <laughs> uh, but Dickens was a uh, was a walker himself and he would often walk far distances late at night uh, to, to help think through plots and to help, uh, you know, ease his agitated mind sometimes. Uh, this is something that Dickens would do. And I, I find it funny that uh, Pip is doing the same thing now. Uh, he, he So he walks 25 miles back to London. Uh, and when he gets there, after basically walking a marathon, um, <laughs> he gets a note at the, at the gate from Wemmick that says, don't go home. And that's where the chapter ends. And that's where we left off for a week. Uh, if you're reading this in real time. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, what just happened? Is, is Herbert okay? Is Magwitch okay? Where, you know, what's going on? We don't know. We won't know until the week passes. And so that ends part 27. And uh, let's go ahead and just keep going into uh, part 28, chapters 45 and 46. Leaving his home, you know, after a long walk, I'd be wanting nothing but a nice hot shower and my own bed. But he's denied even those comforts and has to spend the night in a really rickety, seedy hotel that if this were in modern times, it would probably be one, one in the bad part of town that, you know, rents hourly rates and <laughs> it's just nasty, nasty hotel. And let me read you this quote because I love how Dickens has such a strong sense of place and description. And, and this is just an example of that. Here at the beginning of chapter 45, uh, in the third paragraph, he describes his room. He says, There was an inhospitable smell in the room of cold soot and hot dust. And as I looked up into the corners of the tester, or the canopy of the bed, uh, over my head, I thought what a number of blue bottle flies from the butcher's and earwigs from the market and grubs from the country must be holding on up there, lying by for next summer. This led me to speculate whether, whether any of them ever tumbled down, and then I fancied that I felt light falls on my face. A disagreeable turn of thought, suggesting other and more objectionable approaches up my back. Yikes, and no wonder he can't sleep if that's what he's thinking about bugs crawling everywhere and cr dropping on his face and crawling up his back and... He's hearing noises and all around he's being haunted by the phrase, don't go home, don't go home. Early the next morning, Pip gets up, assuming he even was able to sleep, and he goes to Wemmick's castle and gets the lowdown on what has happened uh, since he's been gone. Essentially, to, to really just briefly summarize this, 
It turns out that Compasson is alive and he's hunting for Magwitch. Uh, his place has very likely been watched. So Herbert fled with Magwitch and took him to his uh, fiance's house, uh, to Clara's house. This is all the information that Wemmick is able to pass on to uh, uh, to Pip. What follows is when Wemmick goes to work that day, tells Pip to hide out at his place for the day, and then we get this really random but I think really nice little passage where uh, Pip uh, just hangs out with uh, Wemmick's dad and they they eat eat pork and and swap stories as it were. <laughs> so okay, but. Uh, I like Dickens. I, I think just can't help sometimes to just to show that the the, the family life, the, the the hearth scene, you know, and Pip's able to um, hide there for the day, which then quickly uh, will lead us to chapter forty six. And Pip goes to Clara's to uh, see Herbert. Uh, we we get introduced to Clara's dad, sort of. Uh, his her father is an invalid upstairs. He's an alcoholic uh, with a bad case of gout. And you hear him hollering in his drunken stupor from upstairs. We find out that they have again changed Magwitch's name to Mr. Campbell. Now we uh, transition into a heist film, right? Uh, <laughs> Pip and Herbert devise a plan to try to sneak Magwitch and probably Pip out, out of the country. So they're going to, uh, Pip's going to spend time boating on the river so that it, when the time comes to leave, he draws no undue attention to himself because uh, people will just say, oh yeah, you know, this guy, he's always out there boating around. So that's their plan to escape uh, via the river. And during this whole time, Pip feels like he's being watched. And that's really all that um, includes in this chapter, in this section. Uh, so we're left with some uncertainty as to what is going to happen next. We also leave Pip, I think, feeling heartbroken and discouraged about the turn of events but learning a better lesson, learning that what he wished was maybe not what was best for him. So that ends uh, our reading for this week. Next week, we're reading chapters 47 through 50, I believe. Go ahead and check the show notes below to double check on that. But this week, I'd really like to discuss and hear what you think about Pip's confession to Estella. And if he really did deeply love Estella on some level. And what does he mean by she has become such a part of him that, you know, that he, that she's everywhere and everything he does, everything he sees. Uh, what do you think he means by that? And how true is that? I think, I think there's some truth to it, whether it's healthy or not, you know, that's a whole other discussion, right? So that will wrap us up for today. Uh, again, for those of you hanging in there reading with me, thank you so much for that and, and just your encouragement, um, your thoughts. Um, I'll be back Tuesday with an episode of the Bookshelf Odyssey podcast, and I'll be interviewing a uh, science fiction writer. She's a new and upcoming writer. Her name is Jendaya Brooks Flemister, and she's written some short stories that will be really worth your time reading. And we're going to talk about those as well as what it's like to be writing science fiction um, and some of the, all the usual questions we, disc we uh, cover on the Bookshelf Odyssey. So stay tuned for that. I'm really looking forward to sharing that interview with you. Um, Jendaya was just a wonderful guest, and I, I can't wait to see what she's going to write in the future. Uh, I, I really, truly think that she's going to be a big name, that she's an up-and-coming writer that is worth paying attention to. 
um, she's written a couple of very powerful stories that uh, we'll talk about in the next episode. Thank you for joining me on this deep dive into Dickens, and I'll catch you next time. So until then, take care.